Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you all, uh, those in person, those on Zoom. Uh, it's really good to, to be here with you all and to, to see you. And it's also a beautiful day, so that helps, right? <laughs> um, this morning, we're going to continue on in our, our series of following the lectionary through First uh, John. And so as we get ready to jump into that this morning, let's pause for a word of prayer. Loving God, we are uh, grateful for the gift of this day, um, for the warm, uh, for the warmth, and for the the sunshine that's shining down on us. And God, we're grateful for the gift of community and this chance to to be together, um, both in person and uh, um, being connected through Zoom. God, we're we're grateful for the gift of technology. But beyond that, God, we're grateful for the gift of your Spirit that um, somehow mysteriously and divinely is is uniting us and connecting us and draw drawing us together and drawing us together in you uh, and so as we uh, get ready to open the scriptures and wrestle with them we acknowledge your spirit's presence among us and ask that your spirit would lead us guide us and shape us and form us more and more into the image of jesus we pray all this in the name of jesus amen what is god like it's a, it's a real question. I, I'd, like to, I'd like us to sit with it for a second. What is God like? What is God like? And the reason why we ask this question is because I, I think our answer to this question is more important than we realize. Um, because I, I think whatever claims we make about God, we're making about uh, reality itself. Or we could say whatever claims we're making about God, I think we're making about the world and the world that we find ourselves in and how the world that we find ourselves in functions itself. Or whatever claims we're making about God, I think we're making about what it means to be human, to be flesh and blood living in this world that we find ourselves in. Or we could just simply say, as God goes, so does reality, right? Now, I don't think it's too much of a stretch of our imaginations to, to figure out how these two ideas go hand in hand. Uh, so, for example, we could take a number of, like, uh, religious extremist groups, for example, right? Uh, these are groups who uh, run with some sort of religious belief to some extreme end, and it leads to all sorts of, like, extreme uh, um, uh, effects on how they live their life. So, to get specific, we could think about, like, a Westboro Baptist, right? Um, if you're not familiar with Westboro Baptist, it's a... Uh, a church, I guess, um, but they're known for all sorts of like really vile and hateful sorts of things. Um, they're known for celebrating all sorts of natural disasters as like God's coming judgment on us. Um, they're also known for picketing and protesting uh, funerals of LGBTQ folk, like just really vile and hateful sorts of things. But this shouldn't surprise us. <laughs> because if we pay attention to the things that they're actually saying, the claims that they're making about God, they're making claims that we have a hateful God. <laughs> and as a result, we find ourselves in a hateful world and we become hateful people. Their claims about God are the claims that they're making about reality. And we could fill in this adjective of hateful for any other things, right? An angry God will get us an angry world and angry people or a violent God will get a violent world and violent people. Whatever claims we make about God, we're making about reality. We're making about the world that we find ourselves in. We're making claims about what it means to be human in this world. Or we could just simply say, whatever claims we're making about God, we're making about truth itself. 
And as we talked about last week, truth is so incredibly vital to a community, to a society, because truth is like this bedrock, this, this foundation, this framework, this fabric that holds all things together. And it's this thing that shapes our ethics, our values, our morals, our perspective, our responses to certain things. Like truth is so incredibly important. And whatever claims we make about God are the claims that we're making about truth. So what is God like? Uh, Over the last few weeks, we've been journeying through uh, 1 John. And here we have John who is acting as like a a pastor, an elder, a sage to uh, this broader community of smaller house churches who uh, have experienced a good bit of like questioning and conflict and division among them. And as we've journeyed through this letter, we've acknowledged that some of the the things that John is doing here is like putting forth efforts to to rally this community together. This uh, conflicted, divided community wanting to to, uh, bring the the pieces that are left after a sect had broken off, wanting to bring them together, to unite them, to rally them together. But John's also doing uh, a little bit other work too, and he's putting forth all sorts of effort to do some housekeeping. Like, drawing attention to some of the misinformation that's out there, drawing some attention to like uh, the, the misbeliefs that are out there, and wanting to kind of clean up uh, the thoughts and the, the, the perspectives within the community itself. And as we get, uh, and as we step into 1 John this morning, I think we get to a passage that begins to get into maybe perhaps the most vital housekeeping element in the entire letter. So we step into 1 John in chapter 4, verse 7. And here John writes, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's love lives in us and God's love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God and God in them. Love has been perfected among us in this way that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have not seen cannot love God whom they have seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Okay, would anybody like to take a crack at what the theme of these verses are? Love. Absolutely love. Love is the theme of these few verses. And within these 15 verses, we see some form of love being used 27 times. Love is absolutely the theme of these few verses. And these few verses seem to set as the thesis or the main argument, the main point of what John is wanting to get this community to understand. That love is at the heart of everything. Love, 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 love times 27, right? But what about love? 
In these few verses, John uh, makes some rather bold claims and connections about God and love. So one of the claims that John makes is this like beckoning of uh, the church to love one another because love comes from God. So for John here, God is the source of love. God is the creator of love. God is like this reservoir of love. And any sort of love that exists in the world around us has come from God, overflowed from God, has been sent from the hand of God. Love comes from God because God is the source of love. But remember also that like one of John's main analogies throughout this letter is that we are children of God. And so for us to be children of God mean that we are tapping into, into what God has to offer, that we're demonstrating what we see God doing and what we see from God is the source of love. So to be children of God means that we are loving one another. Uh, this past week, uh, Allie and Pax were playing out on the, the front lawn there. And I was sitting on the porch uh, doing some work, actually working on my sermon. And uh, someone uh, showed up and was getting ready to, to meet with Darren. And they got here a few minutes early, and so they were talking to us. And so uh, Allie introduced them to Pax. And, you know, they said what everybody says when they see Pax. Oh, my goodness, what a cute baby. I may be biased, but anyways. And so they were talking, and uh, the person got to a point where they were looking at Pax and looking at Allie, and they said, where did his blonde hair come from? And at that point, I had stepped forward on the porch, and they looked at me, and they said, oh, that's where his blonde hair comes from, right? They were asking where Pax's blonde hair came from because it has to come from somewhere, right? Like there needed to be a source of it and Allie didn't seem to be that source. But once they saw me, Pax's father, they saw that like that was the source of the blonde hair, right? And this source had been embodied in Pax and is, in, is on display in Pax as having blonde hair because it came from the source of one of his parents, right? And John is saying something similar here. Like we have our heavenly parent in God who is the source of love. This is where love comes from. This is where love flows. This is where love overflows into the world. And we are children of God. And this gets embodied in our lives and the ways that we interact and treat one another. Another one of the claims that uh, John makes in this section here is that no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's love lives in us or God's love is made known through us, or God, uh, God's very self is made known through our love of one another. No one's seen God, but when we love one another, God is made known through that. Now, there's another person uh, that you have never seen, and unfortunately, you never will see him, and that is my dad. However, if for some mysterious reason, uh, Gary Swanson were to show up next Sunday, I think you would interact with him for a little bit and say, you know, we've never seen you, but it feels like we know you. And that's because, try as I might, I am a pretty good walking embodiment of Gary Swanson. Uh, I look just like him. I have all sorts of characteristics and unfortunate like mannerisms, just like my dad. Um, I haven't developed the ability to do a three-hour sermon, which I think is good for all of us, but uh, I think you would interact with him and be like, I feel like I've known you because I know Sean. Now the reason for this is because Gary is my dad and I possess the elements of my dad and I'm the walking embodiment of my dad, right? And so if, um, uh, if, it, so you may not know my dad, but you know my dad through me and God, and John is saying the same sort of thing here. We may not have ever seen God, 
But because we're children of God and we're doing the things that we see God doing, God is made known through our love. Now, hopefully you're picking up on the connections here that, that, that John is making between God and love. And in case we miss it, John makes it explicitly clear in one more uh, claim in this verse where he goes so far and as boldly to say that God is love. God is love. So we come back to that opening question of what is God like? Notice that John doesn't actually address that question. That's not the question that John is answering here. He's not answering the question of what is God like, but he's answering the question, who is God? He doesn't tell us what God is like, but he tells us who God is. And it's as if John recognizes that uh, the essence of who someone is flavors the characteristics that we see in their life. He seems to recognize that characteristics can be deceiving, but if we want to really know what someone is like or who someone is, we have to get to the essence of who they actually are. So, for example, I could be a really generous person, but if all of that generosity is motivated from some sort of like manipulative impulse within me, well, that generosity doesn't feel so good, does it? <laughs> because you know that there's strings attached to that, right? You're probably looking over your shoulder wondering how I'm trying to persuade you one way or another. But if I'm a generous person and at the core of who I am is like a deep kindness, and that generosity is just an overflow of that kindness. That generosity feels very different. Because you know that there's no strings attached. You know that, that that generosity is yours and yours to have alone. See, John seems to recognize that essence flavors characteristics. And if we're going to talk about God, let's just jump to the core of who God is. Because characteristics can be deceiving. So let's talk about the essence. And the essence of what we see with God is that God is love. God is not loving, God doesn't do loving things, but God is love. And God being love uh, uh, influences everything that we know about God. Love shapes it all. Love is the lens through which we see it all. Uh, I can be a bit of a, a nerd when it comes to like church and theology sorts of things. And so I have this uh, weird uh, habit where I will uh, look up different churches, rather in town or uh, relatively well-known churches in the nation. And I'll go to their beliefs page and read their belief statements. Again, you know, not the most uh, uh, um, fun thing for most people, but it, it gets me going. And a couple months ago, I realized that almost every church that I read makes some sort of statement or belief about God. And it goes something like this. Uh, God existed before all things. God is the creator of all things. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. And after seeing this time and time again, I began to scratch my head and think, boy, it seems like they're missing something, right? <laughs> because John is so incredibly clear here where he says God is love. And friends, like if, if we miss out on this, if we miss out on the fact that God is love, period, full stop, if we miss out on this being the essence, the reality, the core of God, we're going to get a distorted image of who God is. And if we get a distorted image of who God is, we're going to get a distorted image of this world that we find ourselves in and how this world functions and operates. And if we get a distorted image of who God is, we're going to get a distorted image about ourselves and what it means to be human and flesh and blood on this earth. And if we have a distorted image of who God is, we're going to get a distorted image of truth itself. 
which begins to have a dangerous sort of trickle-down effect as we think about our ethics, our morals, our values, the ways that we live and interact in this world. So here's why this is important. John's writing to this conflicted community that's wrestling through all of these questions, uh, dealing with this sect that has broken off and trying to put the pieces back together. And John has just given this, them a gift as they're discerning right and wrong and what is of God and what isn't of God and what it means for them to be children of God. And the gift that John has given them is in the midst of this discernment, they can ask or they can recognize that if God is love, then love is a litmus test for God. If God is love, then love is a litmus test for God. A litmus test being like a, a one-factor test to determine something, right? Um, I have a litmus test in my life, and that's when I meet somebody, I want to get a feel for how they think about Delhi, Ohio. Um, because if they say that they don't like Delhi, Ohio, they've revealed their cards as having suspect judgment at best, right? But if they do, well, that tells me that they have pretty good judgment at least, right? It's a litmus test that has one sort of factor to determine whether it is or it isn't. And love is this litmus test for God. No love, no God. Now this isn't just a gift for the original hearers of this letter, the original recipients or community of this letter, but I think that this is also a gift for us. Because we find ourselves in a unique place in human history where we are receiving more information and more ideas than any other point in history. And it can feel like we are rapidly trying to discern whether this information and these ideas are of God or if God is in them. But again, we have this gift of saying, like, if God is love, then love is a litmus test for God. And so maybe a better question to ask rather than is God in this is the question, is love in this. And I think when we move from is God in this to is love in this, we begin to move from some sort of abstract idea of who God could be into a concrete uh, example of what love is. And if you say, well, hold up, like love is still a relatively abstract idea. Let's remember that just a few verses prior to this, John has said something like this. We know love by this, uh, that Jesus gave up his life for us. Love is not some sort of abstract idea, but love is a self-giving, giving of itself for the sake of others, leading towards healing and wholeness. It's absolutely a concrete thing. And when we move from is God, is God in this to is love in this, we move from abstract to concrete. And so we can begin to ask this question about all sorts of things that we face in our life. We can ask this question uh, when it comes to like systems uh, that we find ourselves in uh, or worldviews or philosophies. Uh, so for example, one of the dominant systems that we find ourselves in is a certain sort of system in dealing with public safety. Uh, and the way that we uh, think about public safety is shaped by a police force that uh, has been like hyper-militarized. And what we've seen uh, as a result of some of this hyper-militarism is like a flurry of videos of uh, uh, black folk who have been killed uh, unarmed as a result of it. We can look at this system and say, is love in that? Or we can begin to, to think about like our understandings of God, the ways that we think about God, the theologies that we hold of God. 
Uh, did you know that there's some like 40,000 different denominations in the world? Which means that there's at least 40,000 different ways of thinking about and talking about God, right? And let me be the first to tell you, if nobody's ever told you this, not all theologies are created equal. <laughs> because there are large systems of theology that are based on an idea that God, before any of the foundations of the earth were laid, had determined somewhat arbitrarily if one group of people will spend eternity in bliss or if another group will spend eternity in torments. Is, is love in that? Or what about our lives, our communal sort of life, our, our family lives, either chosen or uh, given family lives, or our individual lives? As we think about the ways in which our lives are lived, is love in this? Now, if with any of these, we, we feel like there's a lack of love, here's the good news. We don't have to make up love. <laughs> Again, we have this concrete example of Jesus, and what we see in Jesus is a Jesus with his arms outstretched, always open, inviting us to see and to know what love is, to experience love, to be loved, to be transformed by love, and to become love. And after becoming that love, we recognize that we as children of God are in a unique position to bring this sort of love into the systems, to the worldviews, to the philosophies, to the understandings, to the theologies of God, into our communities, to our families, and into our very lives, so that the love of God is made known on earth as it is in heaven. So what is God like? Who is God? God is love. And God invites us to be children of God. And that feels like very, very good news. Let's pray. God who is love, uh, we are grateful for that. We're grateful that... um, All that you do is motivated by this love, that at the essence of who you are, at the core of who you are, is love, that love overflows from you. And we're grateful that we have uh, a concrete example of that love in the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. So God, uh, help us to embrace this role as, as your children. And, uh, in the places where maybe we want to we wanna resist uh, looking like our heavenly parent, would your spirit come and soften our hearts? Help us to be shaped by that love, to know that love, to embrace that love, and to become that kind of love. And in our various spheres of influence, may we bring that love in um, so that your love may be known on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.